Turn with me, if you would, to the place where our brother Arnott had us, the 11th chapter of Luke, and the first verse, Luke 11, verse 1. When I received this topic, the first thing that I thought about was the word keys. Of course, we use keys all the time. We get up in the morning and you shut the door and you use your key to lock the door. You go to the car, you use a key to open your car, you use a key to start your car. If you're like me, you probably have at least one or two rings that are full of keys. Yeah, some that you use every day and some that you don't use but once in a while. And this morning, as we look at keys to an effective personal prayer life, we're not going to have time to pull out and examine each and every single one of the keys, but only those that we should be using each and every day. For many of these, keys are already well-worn, probably very shiny from use, nothing new this morning, just confirmation of the old paths where the good way is. Uh, Harry Ironside says, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. And that would apply here. For some this morning, this may serve as a call back to the old past now grown over with neglect. And there may be some here this morning, new in their discipleship, just discovering the old paths, needing some guidance. And whatever the case may be, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will use this time for our edification. Father, we pray that you would teach us to pray. Give us the desire in our heart to learn and be taught of your Son. Give us a passion for him, passion for your word. And Father, teach us to be people who have knees that are well-worn and hands that are raised up in prayer often and hearts that are very close to Thee. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the first key, and it's the key that starts an effective prayer life, an effective personal prayer life, is understanding what prayer is and the purpose of prayer. Well, prayer is simply communicating with God, talking to Him. As believers, we can pray from the heart, pray freely, spontaneously, using our own words. We don't have to use thee and thou and things like that. Just from our heart, we talk with the Lord. The Lord speaks to us from Scripture through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit then leads us to respond in prayer, talking to our Heavenly Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. The purpose of prayer, it's really the purpose of all things. The purpose of prayer is to give God glory and for us to be blessed by that. Prayer is for God's glory and for my good. Prayer centers our lives around God. Prayer positions us correctly toward God. It it reminds us that He is our Father in heaven and we're not. It reminds us that we're needy, and He's the one who meets all of our needs. He has all the power. And in our weakness, we turn to Him and we find that He is all-sufficient. 
We learn to know His presence, to be aware of His presence. And rather than stating a theological truth that He is omnipresent, He is present everywhere at the same time, instead we live in that truth, and it changes us. The psalmist said, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. This is what we do when we live our lives, when we operate in the knowledge of His constant presence. As the Lord answers our prayers, we see Him working and moving things and accomplishing uh, things for His will, for our good. And we, by the Spirit, respond to that, and we give Him glory. And as He answers our prayers for others, they too see Him working and moving on their behalf, and they too respond with giving glory to God. We give to the Lord the glory due His name. I found that twice in the Scripture. Give God the glory that is due His name. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Prayer gives us an opportunity to give God glory as He gives to us His many blessings. So the first key to an effective personal prayer life is understanding what prayer is. It's communicating with God, talking with God, and its purpose, His glory and my good. Now look with me at Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 1. I appreciate our brother... Uh, are not confirming some of the things that I'm going to say today. And we do need to be confirmed in them and hear them more than once. In Luke 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I find this interesting, that even though the Lord had many disciples, that only one of them asked him, to teach them to pray. In the Gospels, the disciples asked him many questions. We read, his disciples came to him saying, or his disciples came to him and said, uh, questions like, um, don't you know the boat's sinking, we're going to die? Um, don't you know you offended the Pharisees? Um, Lord, how come this demon didn't come out when we tried to cast him out? Lord, um, what is going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So it wasn't that the disciples were shy at all about asking the Lord questions. And it seems that we're in a similar situation today. We ask the Lord to help us with the work. We ask the Lord to meet our financial needs. We ask the Lord many things. But have we, have I, have you as an individual really asked the Lord to teach you, to teach me to pray? We can learn from this verse. Yeah, it's the introduction to the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke, which really should be called the example prayer, the model prayer. But this verse has some insights for us in its own right. Notice that John the Baptist, he taught his disciples to pray. And this disciple of Jesus right here in, in chapter 11 of Luke, he saw something that reminded him that John had taught his disciples to pray. And what it was was he witnessed his Lord praying. 
what a profound effect it had upon him. It prompted him to say, I want to learn to pray. Teach us, Lord, to pray. And one of the things I thought about was, you know, surely if, if the Lord Jesus Christ needed to pray in his earthly ministry, we have an even greater need to pray. Beyond the model prayer, we can learn by looking into the prayer life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels don't give us a, a detailed biography of Jesus. John 21-25 tells us why we don't have a detailed account of the Lord Jesus Christ and his life. And that's because, and there are also many other things that Jesus did which they were written one by one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so the Gospels give to us all that the Lord wants us to know, all that the Lord knows we need to know about his earthly ministry, and they give us beautiful glimpses into his prayer life. But we might ask ourselves, why did Jesus pray? After all, Jesus Christ is God. He's the God the Son. Why did he need to pray? Well, there are at least three reasons that the Lord prayed. First, he is my ultimate example. He's your ultimate example to follow. And so Jesus prayed as an example for us. Another reason is that he is the unique one. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, 100% man, and at the same time, 100% God. And in that perfectness, in his perfect humanity, it was totally natural for him to pray to his God. And third, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they exist in perfect fellowship. And Jesus would pray to God the Father as a part of that perfect fellowship. And you know what? We have been brought into that beautiful fellowship by the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.3 tells us, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. H.G. McKay writes this, What makes fellowship so important is that man was created to enjoy fellowship with his God and undoubtedly did so in his unfallen state in Eden. But the entrance of sin changed all that and the spiritual death which ensued from Adam's disobedience made such communion impossible. Now on the basis of the abounding grace of God, by means of the reconciling work of Christ on the cross and the regenerating work of the Spirit, believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus with the spiritual capacity for fellowship with their God. And thus, the believer in Christ has been brought into fellowship with the triune God. Does that take your breath away? Yeah. Fellowship is sharing or joint participation or communion. It's, it's a two-sided relationship. Both the Lord and I are participating and communing together. We see this in marriage. Two people joined together but, and participating together in this great adventure of life. They're joined together because they love each other. And their love and their intimacy grows and blooms and flowers and flourishes because they spend time together talking and sharing their hearts. I love and know Sharon so much more today than I did 28 years ago when we first got married. No one has ever had to order me 
No one has ever had to make me go home and be with my wife. It was because I had a desire to be with her. I wanted to have fellowship with her. There was a love, a desire there. And the same is true for our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're born again, when we begin this great adventure of real life, this great adventure of true life, everlasting life, abundant life, we've been joined with Him, and our lives are hid with Christ in God. He knows us, and we know Him. But our love for Him and our intimacy with Him only grows through one thing, and that is time spent with Him. We must have a desire, we must have a love, a passion to spend time with Him in prayer and in His Word. And so the second key, which is really the primary key, is that we must have a desire, a burning passion for the Lord Jesus Christ in order for us to have an effective personal prayer life. If I want my life to count for Christ, if I want what I do in my life, if you want what you do in your life to count for eternity, have a passionate love for your great, majestic, unchanging, glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At age 82, John Newton said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. He had a passion for his Lord because he remembered what he was before Christ. Before Christ saved him, he was a vile, condemned sinner. Leprosy is a type for sin in Scripture. Leviticus 13 commanded that the leper would rend and tear his clothes, that he would uncover his head, and that he would cover his mouth very much exactly like someone who was mourning death. And that he should shout, unclean, unclean. And that he should remain for the rest of his days outside of the camp without any hope of being brought back in. He was ruined. This is the sinner without Christ. Dead in his trespasses and sin. Without hope, ruined. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who? What's the answer to the question? The question answer is the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Lord. And even though he saw my rebellion, the rebellion of my will, my will balled up in a fist as it were, shooken at him. And even though he knew the vile darkness of my sinful, corrupt heart, and even though I was a filthy, vile creature, bent and broken destitute and diseased, who justly deserved nothing but death, separated from him for all eternity in hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. But still, God demonstrated his love toward me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. When I finally saw myself as a vile sinner and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit understood that I was condemned, that I was under judgment. It was then that I turned and I finally saw the cross and I was stunned. I knew He died on the cross for the world. I could comprehend that. 
But I hadn't comprehended the fact that He had died for me. He died for my sin. And for me, that was stunning. Shortly after his conversion to Christ, Charles Wesley was ministering the gospel to the men who were condemned to death at London's Northgate Prison. In one cell, he came upon a desperate slave sentenced to death for robbing from his master. Wesley recounts, I told him of one who came down from heaven to save lost sinners, and him in particular. I described the sufferings of the Son of God, his sorrows, agony, and death. And he listened with all the signs of eager astonishment. The tears trickled down his cheeks while he cried, What? What? Was it for me? Did he suffer all this for so poor a creature as me? And I found myself overwhelmed with the love of Christ to sinners. It was after this that Charles Wesley penned, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me? Who caused His pain for me? Who Him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. He died for me. He rose again for me. He is exalted for me. For me. Yes, for me. Amazing love. An amazing Lord and Savior. He loved and gave Himself for me. In faith, I asked the risen Savior to save me. And you know what He did? I have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. He gave me His righteousness. He gave me His life. He gave me the power to say no to sin and yes to serving Him. He's promised me heaven and not just heaven, heaven with Him, to be with Him. He did all of this for me. This is my story. This is your story too. It's the story of all who've come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. And like the Samaritan leper, we glorify God when we thank the Lord for saving us. We love Him because He first loved us. Paul tells us, for the love of Christ compels us. The love that Christ had for Paul compelled him to risk his life to tell the world about Christ's love for sinners. Paul never recovered from the marvel that he was accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ despite the fact that he persecuted and killed his people. The reality of Christ's love was the most powerful motivation in the life of Paul. And for many years I had the idea that it was my love for Christ that should motivate me to serve Christ. But Paul says that our motivation is found in Christ's love for us. People who understand the desperate condition they were in without Christ, people who appreciate the wonder of being saved from an eternity in hell, people who are 
overcome by the fact that they deserve absolutely none of this. They are motivated by the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People who value the, the freedom from sin's power to mess up their lives, they're motivated by the love of Christ. People who anticipate the glory of eternity, the bliss of heaven, those are people who are motivated, compelled by the love of Christ. As Peter ends his second letter, he exhorts the saints, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is the Lord's character. Christ-likeness. We're to grow to be like Him. Knowledge speaks of an intimate relationship. The Bible tells us that Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. The Bible tells us that God said, Israel have I known. And it's not just that Israel was the only nation that God was aware of. It's talking about an intimate, intimate relationship. To grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is we build our relationship with Him through increasing our study, our acquaintance, our knowledge of the Word of God to learn more of His person, to learn more of His works, and we draw ourselves closer to Him through times of intimate prayer. Make this beautiful, lovely Savior the passion of your life. Love Him. You know, if you look closely into the personal life of any human being, I tell you, you're going to be disappointed. We're going to find faults in each other. But as close as you might look, we'll never find any flaw in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never disappoint. He's the most wonderful person there is. His character is perfect. It is so beautiful. He is altogether lovely. He is my friend. The more you know Him, the more your passion for Him will grow. So the primary key that we must have for an effective personal prayer life is a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as your desire to, to know Him more grows, so will your desire to share more of your life with Him. Uh, he talks to us by the Spirit through the Scriptures. And we talk to Him in prayer. Above all else, prayer is an opportunity for us to share intimacy with our God. Our third key that we must have for an effective personal prayer life is priority. Prayer shouldn't be a secondary aspect of our lives. It should daily have a high priority in our lives. Spend time with the Lord daily in prayer. The way we develop any relationship, as we mentioned early, is spending time with someone. Intimate relationships, they're born by learning to trust. Being open and willing to open, your heart invites intimacy. And we must open our hearts to our Lord and Savior. To be an intimate friend of the Lord, we need to pour out our heart to Him. Tell Him the things that, that we're hoping for. The things that we're dreaming about. The desires of our heart. And we need to share those with Him daily. The example of the Lord Jesus is that He prayed regularly. We read in Luke 5.16, So He Himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. The word often there tells us that the Lord did it regularly. 
And throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus praying, and it comes up regularly. It's not unnatural. It's not a bump in the road. It just it comes out flowing from the person that he is, comes out of his life regularly and naturally. It's simply integrated into every aspect of the Lord's life. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, the Lord there also taught his disciples about prayer. And in that example prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, from that, we take that he wanted them to ask for provision. But we also get from that they needed to ask for provision each and every day. Pray daily. If you're not doing this, start. Schedule it. Plan it. Do it. Start out with maybe 15 minutes. And as you develop your prayer life, that time should grow. You should find that if you set a clock and you're going to just do 15 minutes, that 15 minutes should very soon become too short a time. Uh, at a minimum, you should increase your prayers maybe to at least an hour a day of intimate prayer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Find the time that is best for you. Some people say pray in the morning. Some people say pray at night. There are some people who do both. If you're able to, that would be good. But find the time that is best for you and for uh, your life. Our hearts should long to be with Him. We should long to be with Him no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. You know, I was too busy to pray this morning. Well, that shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. By spending time with our Lord in prayer, we learn of Him. We learn of His ways. And knowing God leads us to rest in the assurance of His ultimate goodness for us. Despite the circumstances that we see around us. Habakkuk 3, 17-18 says this, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. There are no circumstances too bad to keep us from spending time daily with the Lord in prayer. Giving prayer its rightful priority in our life not only involves daily time, but it also should have a priority in place. Luke 5.16 says, So he himself withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke 6.12 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. As much as the Lord valued praying with others, he also valued prayer alone with his father. He could have gone to a home, to a nearby synagogue. If he were in Jerusalem, he could have gone to the temple to pray. But Jesus loved to draw away by himself and spend time with his father. The Lord in Psalm 46.10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. It's important for us to be still before the Lord. And the only way we can do this is to find a place of solitude. A place where we can be alone with our God and commune with Him. The Lord Jesus prayed on the basis of the Word of God. The prayers that He gave were based in God's revealed truths to us. John 4.24 says, God is Spirit. The Lord said, God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And he also said, the truth shall set you free. So our fourth key to an effective personal prayer life is to have intimate knowledge, 
personal knowledge of the Word of God. Proper prayer requires that we have an accurate, truthful understanding of God and what He has revealed to us in His Word. As you daily study the Word of God, you're going to soon get to know what His will is for you, what His ways are, get to know His heart, the desires of His heart, which will give you an understanding of what to pray. When you learn the way that He moves in the lives of people, we can pray with, with knowledge and with prayers that line up with the will of God. Psalm 119, verses 103 and 104 say, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Psalm 119, it's a, it's a psalm that you ought to take time and study it diligently because it's a wonderful passage to meditate upon. It tells us the rewards that are found in having intimate knowledge of the Word of God. Personal knowledge of the Word of God not only helps us know how to pray according to God's will, but it helps us with the fifth key. The fifth key for an effective personal prayer life is personal purity. Personal purity. John tells us, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Psalm 66 Verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now pay a close attention to what God said. We'll start first by looking at what God did not say. God did not say that if I have sinned, He will not hear me. Because if that were true, He would never hear any of our prayers. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. Notice that he didn't say that if at this moment there's any sin in my life, he wouldn't hear. 1 John 1.8 says that we have all sinned. Present tense. We all have sin in our lives. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Paul had this to say. He says, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. You see, I'm not able to ask God for anything on the basis that I'm sinless and perfect. I'm glad of that. I'm saved, but I'm a sinner. And the Lord will still hear, hear my prayers. But look at what God did say. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm a sinner, but I must not love and I must not harbor sin in my life. I must, I must not make alibis for it. I must not make excuses for it or cover it up. If I do, that becomes a problem and it breaks fellowship between me and the Father, between me and God. The Lord hates sin and He loves us. And He wants to restore that fellowship just as quickly as possible. And so He tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a willingness to sin, an excusing of sin, a practicing of sin that makes God refuse to hear our petitions, our prayers. If you want to keep sweet fellowship and have the Lord hear your prayers, then you must judge yourself, judge your sins, all of them. And that includes even offenses against others. And it even includes 
the sin of an unforgiving spirit. We have to agree with God. That means we say the same thing that He says about our sins and take sides with Him against our own sin. I must repent. Turn my will away from those things that grieve God and those things that hurt others. If I don't, then my will is set against the Lord's will and it becomes an idol. I make my own will an idol because a secret Sin has taken the devotion of my heart, which actually belongs only to God. So the key of personal purity, we need to maintain that diligently because it keeps us effective in our prayers. The sixth key for an effective personal prayer life is persistence. The Lord taught persistence in prayer. In Luke 18, verse 1, then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. The parable Jesus told was not meant to show a a disciple that just bugs the Lord to death until finally he says, all right, I'll give you what you want. Jesus is not saying that what he is saying is that we should never stop asking the Lord for him to act on our behalf. We need to persist in prayer and not give up. He's going to answer. He will answer in the best time and according to His will. And don't let delay discourage you at all. Never give up asking. Never give up waiting upon the Lord. If the widow who persisted with with an evil, wicked judge just by going and constantly asking Him got from Him the petition that she asked, how much so? For us who persist with God the Father, who loves us with an everlasting love. He'll always answer perfectly. He answers in several ways. He answers yes. He answers no. He says wait. Sometimes he even says, I've got a better idea. The Lord Jesus knew that not all of his prayers were going to be answered as he expected. Our brother pointed that out this morning. And this is a hard lesson for us to learn. All of our prayers are going to be answered. But not all of our prayers are going to be answered the way that we want. We see this as our Lord cried out to His Father from Gethsemane. Three times He prayed for the Father to allow this cup to pass. But the Son desired the Father's will to be done. Yet not as I will, but as you will. We need to understand what the Son understood. The Father is in charge. The Lord Jesus Christ displayed that fact in His prayer life. In the model prayer, He told us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should never stop praying for God to act on our behalf. So the keys to an effective personal prayer life A personal understanding of what prayer is, communicating with God, its purpose, His glory, our good. The primary key that keeps it all going is our passion, our love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is altogether lovely. Priority and time, it should be given priority and it should have a priority in place, a quiet place where we can get alone with Him. Personal knowledge, number four, of the Word of God. Study it. Look for Him there. He'll reveal Himself to you in His Word. Personal purity. Maintain that. 
maintain that with all of your heart. I can't remember who said it, but someone said this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Be in it daily and it will keep you pure. And that's a problem in this century, in this time, especially for men. And then last, persistence. Do not stop waiting on the Lord to act on your behalf. A couple of practical tips, a few that we could look at for those who are looking to get started or looking to add to their personal prayer life some practical tips to help. Start today. If you're not doing a daily prayer time, start today. And find that time that's right for you, morning, evening, or both. And begin with 15 minutes and add to it as time goes by. Make your goal at least an hour. At least an hour. And pretty soon you'll find that you might even be blessed with a time of a season of prayer all night long. Find a quiet place uh, away from distractions so that you can concentrate. Here's a little thing. Turn your phone off. Get where you don't get disturbed by the phone. The pressures of this world, unless someone's dying and you're a doctor, it really doesn't matter. Pray the same time each day as you can, if you can, if your schedule allows you. Some people are on swing shift, but, but if you can, schedule it as a daily appointment, your appointment with the Lord. Put it on your calendar. Put it on your day planner. Make it like an important appointment that you have with a business colleague. And keep it every day. A couple of things. Uh, pray aloud. If you're having trouble uh, staying focused while you're praying, pray aloud. And that makes you concentrate on forming sentences. And it'll keep you alert. Uh, help you concentrate. You can stand. If you're having trouble sitting or kneeling, you can stand. That might help, help you stay more concentrated. For me, I actually write out my prayers in a prayer journal. And that helps me to stay concentrated and focused. There's a lot of folks that, that I know here who do that, who journal their prayers every day. And it's a wonderful thing because you can go back and find one from a couple of years ago and read it and just see how much the Lord has blessed you since that time. Have a notepad nearby so that you can jot down different things that come to mind while you're talking to the Lord, things that may take you off on red wheels and take you away from prayer. Just write them down to get them out of your mind and then go back to your time of prayer. Get back to the, to the prayer, the time of intimacy with the Lord. Uh, you don't want anything to distract you too long there. Make a prayer list. Keep a prayer list of prayer needs. You can list them in categories like missionaries, uh, the assembly, um, salvation, finances, health, different things like that. Or you can take your list and just divide the number up into seven days and and have each request uh, prayed for on one day throughout the week. Or if you're someone who uh, develops a long time of prayer, you can pray through the prayer list every day, the same prayer list every day. One thing that, that is helpful are the books that give you the names of missionaries and full-time workers that can help you to pray, divide those up throughout the, the week and pray for them or the month and pray for missionaries and full-time workers. And the last little uh, tip that I have for you, and this is one that lots of people use. I happen to have been given it to me shortly after I was saved by my Sunday school teacher. And he taught our class to pray using the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS. 
And it orders the subjects or, or the, the way you would move through your prayers in the subjects, the topics that you would pray about. A for ACTS. The A stands for adoration. To adore God. To worship Him. To pour out our praises to Him for who He is. Our Creator, our Sustainer, our Redeemer. And just like the woman who took the alabaster box and broke it upon Him, we're not looking for anything from Him during this part of prayer. We just want to give to Him and let our mouth and our words bless Him. And then the C stands for confession. Time for us to judge our sins, to agree with God about our sins, to say the same thing that He says about them, to repent from them, to turn away our will from those sins. And we remove those things that hinder our fellowship with the Lord. And let me make a note here. There's some people that like to turn it around and make it the word cats, C-A-T-S. And they begin their time with confession and then go into adoration. So it's a, a personal choice. I prefer to begin focusing on my Savior rather than myself. So acts or cats. So confession, a time to judge your sin and confess them and agree with God with them and, and um, take sides against him, the, the sins with him. And then thanksgiving. It's a time to maybe look through your prayer list and the ones that you've notched off and give God praise for for helping your sister with her breast cancer and give him praise for how he gave your neighbor a job and, and give him the glory for how he he saved your brother, those different things. Give him thanksgiving for all the wonderful things that he has done in your life and the gifts that he has given to you. The song says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And see how many blessings the Lord has done for you. Just thank Him. Give one of, the, one of the indictments of the sinners, of those who will not uh, bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, is neither were they thankful. And so the thing that should identify the people of God is that they're thankful. They are so thankful to the Lord. And the last one is supplication. And this is where we ask God to help. To help with our needs. We would intercede for those that we know, and we would pray for the needs that we personally have. And this is where that prayer list comes in to play. Pull out your prayer list and pray through the list and ask the Lord specifics. Have that prayer list because you want to pray specifically uh, for the needs. Some, someone taught me that a while back. It's very uh, wise to pray specifically for what you would like the Lord to accomplish. And one of the things is that we would like for the Lord to accomplish His will in our lives. John Flavel, uh, the 17th century preacher, he said this, Strive to be Christ-like. If ever you would be lovely in the eyes of God and man, certainly, my brother, it is only the Spirit of Christ within you and the beauty of Christ upon you which can make you lovely persons. The more you resemble Him in holiness, the more you will show of true excellence and loveliness. And the more frequent and spiritual your communication and communion with Christ is, the more of the beauty and loveliness of Christ will be stamped upon your spirits, changing you into the same image from glory to glory. Amen. Some say that prayer changes things. But the reality is, is prayer changes me. Father, we thank You 
Thank you for the privilege, the blood-bought privilege that we have to boldly approach the throne of grace, knowing that we will be welcomed. Help us, Father, to be diligent in our practice of an effective personal prayer life. Draw us closer to Yourself through these times. And may our prayer time become a sweet, sweet haven of time with You. May we never neglect that time. We pray, Father, that through that time, just like that woman in the alabaster box who when she left, she brought with her the smell of that sweet ointment that was the Savior's. May we too, when we spend our time in intimacy with You, come away and reflect the beauty and loveliness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.